All right, so if you've been coming to Devar, you're aware that we've been having a teaching in the book of Galatians. Um, uh, David Patrick talked on a couple weeks ago, and then uh, Rabbi Glebe has been teaching on the book of Galatians, and we're in chapter 2 right now, and we spent a lot of time in chapter 2, uh, maybe even, some could argue, a lot of time in chapter 2, too much time, but yes, we're going to do a little more of chapter 2 uh, today, um, and hopefully, uh, hopefully at the end of today, at the end of this uh, little uh, teaching, um, you'll be challenged a little bit in both how you understand and express your faith, um, and maybe a little bit in what the text says. Um, before we begin, though, I'm going to take a moment and just pray, because I'm definitely nervous, and I want to make sure that I, I, uh, the words that I say are not my own, but God. So, Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to teach, and I just ask, Lord, that you please give me the right words to say, um, so as to be edifying and encouraging to our congregation. And I ask they also give everyone hearts to hear your truth and your word, uh, and I ask this in Yeshua's name. Okay, so uh, if everyone can go ahead and pull out their Bibles with me, we're going to kick off actually by just reading the portion uh, that uh, in Galatians chapter two. So, uh, and then we'll read it, and then we're going to come back and look over it a little bit uh, more in a more detailed manner. But I do think it's helpful to just kind of remember what was said and what was going on. So, the book of Galatians which I didn't mark down page numbers, so if you find it, go ahead and let me know. But we're in Galatians chapter 2. Thank you. 1,113. We're going to be uh, starting on verse 11, though. So let's read, uh, if you can follow along, uh, while I read, starting verse 11. But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he was clearly in the wrong. For before certain people came from Jacob... He regularly ate with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and separate himself, fearing those from the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was carried away from their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not walking in line with the truth of the good news, I said to Peter in front of everyone, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles, not like the Jews, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by birth, and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is set right not by deeds based on the Torah, but rather through putting trust in Messiah Yeshua. So even we have put our trust in Messiah Yeshua in order that we might be set right based on trust in Messiah, and not by deeds based on Torah. Because no human will be justified by deeds based on Torah. But if, while seeking to be justified in Messiah, we ourselves also were found to be sinners, Is Messiah then an agent of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild the very things I tore down, I prove myself to be a lawbreaker. For through law I died to law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Messiah, and it is no no longer I who live, but Messiah lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by trusting in Ben Elohim, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, For if righteousness comes through Torah, then Messiah died for no reason. Okay, if you you looked at those last three verses and you thought, wow, I completely understand what that means, you're lying. Because that is incredibly confusing, I think, in that that passage. I think it's very confusing. And uh, my my rough understanding of Greek, it was only more confusing. And hence, there's much debate to be had about those few, uh, few verses. I'll read them again. For through law I died to law. For a taste there, the word die, it's only used in the 
Bible to mean a physical death. So what does he mean there? So that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Messiah. Now, he wasn't actually crucified for Messiah, so it's got to be a figurative thing, right? And is I no longer, it is no longer I who live, but Messiah lives in me. So, okay, we can kind of get this figurative sense. And the life I now live in the body, I live by trusting in Ben Elohim, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through Torah, then Messiah died for no reason. So, I'm not going to spend the, today kind of parsing out is this like law or grace, which I know has been part of the conversation. I don't think that it'll be really edifying for our congregation to like really jump into it. And it, w- it was a lot of fun. I was trying to like understand, you know, oh, this word is an aorist indicative, so that means this kind of thing. And, uh, but I just don't think it'll be helpful. What I think will be helpful is maybe give some context to what's happening, some I- a, a very rough idea of what Paul's talking about, and then some like, what his actual emphatic statements are at the end. So, to give a little example, I decided to talk about dress code. And I'll give you a second to read the little uh, cartoon. Um, Who here has, like, a dress code where they work? Everyone probably has a dress code. You've got to wear something, you know. Uh, uh, Maybe at school, you know, you're not allowed to wear certain shirts or something like that. Um... At work, so I, I'll mention uh, my work uh, at Allstate, we have like, um, we have actually a, kind of a varying dress code. I think the more uh, higher up you are, let's say, in the ladder, you have, you kind of have on yourself a, har- a higher dress code. So like you'll be in like, you don't see people with ties, but like they'll wear, you know, slacks and, you know, black pants kind of thing and like a nice shirt or, you know, something like a blouse, something a little more professional. And uh, However, different departments have different uh, restrictions. So some departments, that's their standard, business casual. Uh, my department, we're kind of fortunate that we get uh, jeans every day. So I definitely wear jeans every day. And, uh, uh, and you know, you can't wear like a t-shirt. Uh, although different departments actually do, are allowed to wear sandals and t-shirts and shorts and whatever. So I think an example for kind of what's happening in Galatians is based off a dress code. And this is from like a commentary I was reading on this. So think of it like this. Let's say there's John, and he's in the business casual side, okay? So he, where he works, his boss and everyone, their expectation is that you're, you wear business casual every day. And then there's James. And James, he comes from the side that's like very relaxed, and their expectation is that you can wear jeans every day. So uh, bear in mind that it's, it's understood that they have different expectations upon themselves, okay? But they both work for the same company. So if, you know, if James, wearing casual clothing, goes to John and is like, yo, John, you don't need to wear that. Just wear this. You can, I wear it. I do it. You can do it. Obviously, that's bad, right? And he might get John in trouble if John were to change his dress code. So two, if John goes to James and says, yo, man, I, I'm not going to talk to you unless you wear nicer clothes. He's kind of breaking the point of the dress code. And there's all sorts of reasons why there's different dress codes. One may be that in order to attract certain talent, you have a certain dress code. So you might end up causing everyone to start wearing business casual instead of jeans. And when they try to hire someone, it's harder to hire someone because they wanted to work in an environment that didn't have such a stringent dress code. So I know that might have been a little tough to follow, but I thought it was really helpful for me to understand is that kind of what's happening here is similar to that dress code issue. And we'll see that a little bit, we'll see that a little bit when we actually look over what Paul says. But uh, so, like, a, l- a little bit of an introduction again, and this is, this is 
I, I'm sorry that I, I keep doing like this long introduction, but it's because these three verses have to be understood in their context, or else, I mean, or else we're just kind of making stuff up. So, if Paul is ridiculing Peter right now, it's important that we understand that it wasn't heresy. Paul, Paul was not accusing Peter of heresy, and it says directly in the passage in Galatians 2.13, it says, for his hypocrisy, the hypocrisy. Peter was just being, he's kind of led astray a little bit. He's, he's, not, he's not actually saying that Gentiles need to keep the Torah. At no point did he even think that. And I would argue that at no point did anyone think that of the apostles. I think everyone was just like, oh, well, back in the day, if you wanted to be a part of the Jewish people, if you wanted to be part of the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you have to live under the, under the law. And that's just their understanding. So, and it's what we're doing, so sure. Want you, you know, my understanding is you've got to be business casual. I don't know, so I think that maybe you should consider being business casual. I don't think, you ha- I don't think it matters. That's, how, that's not how you get a job, but it's what you need to do. It had nothing to, it had nothing to do with the fact that you got salvation through works. And that's always been a concept in Judaism and, and for the early believers. There, was never, there never was this idea that you're saved by works alone. In Judaism, at least. It never existed. And you can look at Genesis 15.6 when it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Jewish people, t- actually, you know what, you can look at, um, I think I have it in here, Luke, what was it, Luke 3.8. When Yeshua is talking to um, Pharisees, proto-rabbis, he's talking to them, and he says, hey, uh, you think that you're saved by faith in Abraham, by Abraham's faith. Jewish people even today say, we are, we are, we, the way we are coming to a right relationship with God, where we're absolved for our sin, is we admit that we sinned, and then we, reckon, and we do tshuva, we change. We, we recognize that we're saved. God forgives us because of the merits of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's how they understand it. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were so good and righteous before God that we inherit their righteousness. God's kind enough to eat away that injustice. And I don't, I don't believe this, by the way. This is like my conversations with various sects of Orthodox Judaism. That's how they understand they're being made righteous before God. There's always been this concept of you're saved by faith. It never existed, the idea that you're saved by works, except by non-Jews believing that they needed to do it to have right atonement. And it's because they didn't understand Torah. They didn't understand God's law. And they thought it was a requirement. They thought it was an action that was needed. And I don't know. Maybe it's something to do with like them coming from a pagan culture. And so they thought they had to do something. I don't really know. But I do know that it, it didn't ever exist as far as when I read the Bible or as far as, um, as far as what we see even in this context. So why was it then that... Paul had to even explain this. Because if you look at the passage, it's like he's, that's what he's arguing against. He's saying, hey, like, he says, I'm a Jew, and I'm a Jew, and we're Jews, and we know that a person is set right, by, not by deeds but uh, in the Torah, but rather by faith. So if Peter, if Peter was fully aware of this, and if the Jewish people who were with him were fully aware of this, then why is it that he even needs to make this argument? In fact, why do we even need to talk about it if they already know? And I think it's because the people, his audience in Antioch, as well as the Galatians here, have been led astray by maybe a, a perverse understanding of Torah, where they believe that Torah is the way you come into right relationship with God. And as we already talked about, that, that never existed. So that's why Paul is making such an emphatic declaration here, an emphatic statement. He's, he's like, guys, Peter, 
you don't understand the ramifications of what you've done by encouraging people to dress more business casual. You don't understand what you're, what you're saying to everybody else. You're telling everyone that in order to hang out with you, they need to do this. And yeah, you might not be saying they need to do it for salvation, but you are making it seem like you are making them think that, and even though you're not saying it. And that's why your hypocrisy has led to problems. And that's why it's not heresy. It was hypocrisy that led to problems. And so Paul goes on with this emphatic uh, defense. Um, But before we get there, I just want to emphasize that one more time. There was, in my understanding here, there's no cons- there was no, no understanding from both the people from Jacob who are described as apostles. Uh, there, was no, uh, there was no idea from them or from Jewish people in this time period that you needed to keep the Torah in order to be saved. Okay? That didn't exist. That was something that, that, that was just brewing among people who, did not, who were not familiar with Torah. And, and I would argue that evidence is outside of the Bible. You can look at Torah scholars and what, how they understand their righteousness. So the, the second thing I really want us to focus on today, and the, the last thing really, is just Paul's defense. And um, I think this is probably the most applicable portion of the passage for us as a community. And uh, I think that uh, we kind of overlook it a little bit too often, even in this community. So I just want to be very clear um, with what, what Paul says here. So let's look, let's look over this again. After he's made that statement, he goes with an emphatic defense of actually how one comes in a right relationship with God. Uh, and he says, and, uh, he says that it is through, we've been crucified with Messiah so that we no longer live. And let me go to the next slide. I, in, order to, in order to explain this, I think it's, it's good to give a little bit of an illustration of uh, maybe an understanding of who God is. And we'll compare like our, our notion of faith and righteousness with, uh, we'll compare with like normative Judaism. So, uh, oh yeah, if you can't read it, it says, cut off his head, but be compassionate about it. So God is, in Judaism, is completely and absolutely dean. And we can agree with this. God is the perfect judge. When he, when he issues a declaration, if he says something is one way, then that's the way it is, and that's how it's going to be. And he's able to do that. So when he says that he will punish sin, he will. When he will punish sinners, he will. Problem is, that's us too, though. So how does that work? Because we're going to get punished. Well, that's where this paradoxical relationship comes in, where God also has this perfect notion of mercy, or like uh, grace, which is in Hebrew, rachaman. And uh, this is a very like common Jewish idea. Is there's this balance here between Dean and rachaman. So Yeshua's death, was the declar- was God uh, was God providing atonement, but also demanding compensation and you know judging sin. And at the same time, Yeshua's death is Him stepping forward and taking upon Himself our sin in a merciful and gracious manner, instead of having us have to deal with it. And it's kind of a beautiful answer to the paradoxical problem of Yesh- uh, of God being Dean and Rachman together. Um, and I think that it's hard because if you were to talk to, again, like a, an Orthodox Jewish person, and they say to themselves, well, I'm saved through the faith, uh, faith in Abraham's righteousness. You think that Abraham was perfect? Well, no, he wasn't perfect. But, but he has to be in order for him to be righteous and us to inherit his righteousness. I don't think Isaac was perfect, and Jacob, uh, 
Jacob in the Bible is pretty obvious, is kind of obviously not perfect. Um, so I think that uh, there's no answer to how God is still just with sin. If, you're, if you were to believe in uh, kind of a more, more uh, current Jewish understanding of righteousness. And that's what Yeshua calls out on, um, in Luke 3.8. The way that we are, as believers in Yeshua, the way that we come to right, right relationship with God, and this is what Paul emphatically defends, is through God's grace. We admit that we were sinners. And you've probably seen the ABCs of faith before. But we admit that we're believers. And we, or sorry, we admit that uh, we're guilty of sin. And we acknowledge that we cannot come into a relationship with God on our own, by our own merits or through the merits of any other person, through no actions of our own. And then we believe in Yeshua's death for us. We believe that we are powerless, but God, all-powerful, was able to provide for us a way to, to be uh, forgiven of our sin. And then finally we commit, we do tshuva and surrender our lives for God's will. So the first two, these, these are the points that Paul really emphasizes. He says, he says, for through the law, I died to law. Through law, to law, I die. You know, it has nothing to do with my righteousness. It has to do with righteous living. It has the expectation of what God wants me to do as a Jewish person to uphold my covenant relationship. But I'm still going to be dead. It still doesn't redeem me, ultimately. So that I may live, and I die so that I may live to God. And then he says, I've been crucified with Messiah. I recognize that Messiah's death brings me uh, salvation. And is now I, I die to myself and I commit to change. So no, now it is no longer I who live, but Messiah now lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by trusting in God. So when we finally, when we finally accept Yeshua... This notion, I'm so happy that uh, uh, with David's uh, drosh today, because it's, so, uh, it's so pertinent, but we, we completely surrender ourselves to God's will. And so the idea there is that we go, all right, I'm dying to myself. And I think uh, a relevant verse here is Philippians 3, 7 through 9, which I'm sure most people are familiar with. Uh, let me see if I can find it. But whatever things were gained to me, these I have considered as lost for the sake of Messiah. More than that, I consider all things to be lost in comparison to the surpassing value of the knowledge of Messiah, Yeshua, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I consider them garbage in order that I might gain Messiah and be found in him, not having righteousness derived from Torah, but one that is through trusting in Messiah, the righteousness from God based on trust, based on the same trust that Abraham had when God credited to him as righteousness. So, to kind of wrap it up, I, I encourage us as a community to, uh, to first, you know, challenge, make sure to review these kind of ABCs here. Um, and acknowledge that we're not, as Jewish people and as Jewish believers, we don't, we don't keep the Torah because we're, re- we're required to for salvation. That's not true. We keep it because God asked us to. It's simple. God asked us to dress business casual. And although I like wearing jeans, I'm going to be business casual because he asked me to. Or whatever analogy you need. But either way, regardless, if you're a, if you're a Jewish person or a Gentile person, we are, we are redeemed by faith in Messiah. This beautiful, paradoxical, confusing manner by which God 
beautifully demonstrates both complete love and justice. And he asks that now we'll completely surrender ourselves to him and to his will for our lives.